You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to the best Packer radio show on the internet. Cheesehead Radio. I want to be a lifetime Cheesehead. Green Bay Packer. You're looking good today. So let's go out there with that ass. Aaron Rodgers is the best football player I've ever seen, ever. Aaron Rodgers going deep on second two. He's got a leap in Devontae Adams. He's the Defense is going to get a lot of team struggles. We got a defense. Once again, we got a defense. Cheesehead Radio. Hello again, Cheesehead Nation. We are back with another episode of Cheesehead Radio, now in our 10th season. Your trio of hosts tonight are the exasperated Kelly Hodgson, known as That Packer Girl on Twitter. Also joining us is the bedeviled C.D. Angeli, Tundra Vision on Twitter, and little old me, Jersey Al of Packers Talk and Cheesehead TV. You can find me at Jersey Al GBP on Twitter. Sponsoring the Packers Talk Network once again are our good friends at Ticket King. They've been selling Packers, Badgers, and other tickets in Wisconsin for over 25 years. They offer 100% satisfaction guarantee, so you don't have to worry about counterfeit tickets. They have an office across the street from Lambeau Field. You can order online and pick up your tickets there for the big playoff game. Be sure to check out their website, theticketking.com. That takes care of the formalities. Let's now get this show on the road. Who moved my cheese? All right, ladies and gentlemen, after not leading for a second in the game against the Lions, a last-minute win seals up the game and the number two seed in the playoffs for your Green Bay Packers. Who are your cheese winners this week? First of all, our sharp cheddar. Who was your superstar in the game against the Lions? Well, he's a uh, often weekly favorite, and for me, it's Aaron Jones. At the beginning of the season, we all knew it was Aaron's team. Little we know it was the wrong Aaron. It's a Jones world, and we're just living in it. Well, I'm going to go with Mason Crosby. You know, he had a rare miss in this game, but went three for four. Now, in the past, a miss could have shaken his confidence and certainly could have shaken Jersey Al's confidence in him. But instead, he lined up and kicked the game winner with zeros on the clock. I wonder if he's in a contract here. And I am going to go with Alan Lazard. The alien lizard had a couple of key third down catches and a touchdown reception. And now on to our Swiss cheese. Who was your surprise player that made a big contribution on Sunday? Well, guys, I was really impressed with backup center Lucas Patrick. It could have been curtains for Rodgers in the offense when Lindsay Lindsley went down with a back injury, but Patrick didn't miss a beat, and the offense kept chugging along like he never left. Well, I'm going to do a funny one here. I'm going to say the officials. Now, the first game of the season against the Lions was marred by claims of referee bias in favor of the Packers, which became this tribal beat for all of our NFC North opponents the rest of the season. On Sunday, the refs were mostly invisible, and the game played out to its logical conclusion, robbing the rest of the division not only of a division win in 2019, but all of the excuses to go along with it. Alrighty, and I'm going to go with Jared Veldheer, the Hillsdale College alum, took over for an injured Brian Balaga with no apparent drop-off in play. That was huge. 
And now, finally, our Limburger cheese. Who stunk up the field against Detroit? No question here, it was MVS. Can the guy ever catch a ball? The sophomore slump is real. If Rodgers is going to be accurate only half of the time this season, you've got to catch the easy ones, and MVS keeps screwing up game after game. Well, my Limburger cheese is going to be Matt LaFleur and his first half game prep. I'm not sure how you declare this a playoff game and then sheepishly admit that your players were sleepwalking through the first 30 minutes. Now, I didn't have much doubt that they were going to come back against the Lions, but the Saints are going to be a different story. And for me, how can it be anyone other than Aaron Rodgers? It was the most inaccurate throwing performance I can ever recall from the future Hall of Famer. So hey, there's more Packer talk coming up, so stay tuned. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Do you want to experience the thrill of a Packers game at Lambeau? The Playbook. All right, Cheesehead Nation, welcome to Cheesehead Radio and your number two seed in the playoffs, Green Bay Packers. We're back. It's been a while, guys. When was the last time we were in the playoffs? It's been a you while. You, you don't expect us to have this kind of a drought and wow, to to come back into the playoffs now at such a high level. But if you think about it, with such a different roster than we probably had back in the run the table years. I mean, we've turned over quite a number of this people on this roster, a number of our starters. People, coaches. It, it's, it's a different Organizational uh, positions. Yeah. Hierarchies, yes. Yeah. A lot of change, a lot of change, except for the uh, guy on top, yes. Mr. Murphy. Oh, I thought you meant Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> but seriously, think about the last time we won the Super Bowl in 2011. How many players are there? There's Rodgers. There's Tremont. There's Mason Crosby. And was Brian Balaga part of that? I think that's that's all that's I don't left. Think I, uh, was Balaga or was it was it uh, was it still uh, Tausch? I think it was right tackle. I think I so too. I think it was Tausch. I think Tausch was hurt, and that's where Balaga came from. That's where Balaka came from. I mean, like, that's who he was stepped up. <laughs> he was spawned from a Tauscher injury? Is he, that what you're saying? Well, I think he got his opportunity from a Tauscher injury. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, <laughs> well, I'm glad he, you clarified that. Yeah, uh, butted like a yeast, and there he was. Let's see. Uh, Brian Balaga was on the roster in 2010, yes. I honestly think those are the only players that were there the last time they won the Super Bowl. It's not many. So there's a, been a huge turnover. Granted, it's been a decade, but... Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it, not that impressive. Over yeah. ten years, right? More, more to the point is just looking at, like we were saying before, the last time they were in the playoffs and how much the team has changed since then. Let's talk a little bit about this game on Sunday. We go into this game against Detroit, which I think I told you four oh, weeks ago. Here we go ago. again. Four weeks ago, I here said. Here we go again. You know, this never was told the game that. that scared me. And you all went, har, har, har. They don't have Matthew Stafford. Har, har. Already har. I don't know. Lions have the best record against the Packers of all the NFC North opponents of any team in <laughs> right. the NFC North. Right. They've had our number this decade, and they almost did it again. We won, but we spluttered on the way. What was your biggest huh moment in this game? Kelly, let's start with you. Why does he continue to target Jimmy Graham? <laughs> that is going to be my question. The guy runs Graham, like he's wearing cinder block shoes. Graham, 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 Graham,
Yeah, but you know what? He is like spam. It's kind of like from a can, way past its prime, and kind of yucky. Distasteful. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I I keep counting the days where he's not going to be a pa- be a Packer. And I saw a tweet um, during the game saying, "Well, this is Jimmy Graham's last game, regular season game, as a Green Bay Packer." He contributes nothing. He isn't reliable to the point where they, I don't even think that he draws enough coverage to to uh, at least draw them off of somebody like Lazard. Seriously, it was frustrating that he kept he targeted him a couple times. I think he caught it once when we could have he could have connected with somebody like Kumaro. It was just frustrating. Yeah, hard to hard to disagree with that. Uh, for me, it wasn't a moment, but just. The inaccuracy of Aaron Rodgers that entire game, I mean, it it was just striking. I mean, he's had plenty of games where he might have been off a little bit. And, you know, hey, we accept that And because obviously there's plenty of of good that outshines the bad. But but this game, I mean, he threw passes that were four or five yards away from receivers. I mean, this was, you know, Jay Cutler-esque at some point. At some point, we were lucky that they that the Detroit Lions had a completely decimated secondary. Uh, otherwise, I think you would have seen some turnovers. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, to me, is it question is is it cause for concern or is it just a one-time thing you just throw out and you know he's got the bye week and he'll turn it around? I think that's a big question for the playoff game. And more importantly, it was high throws, which Mm -hmm. we don't normally see from Aaron Rodgers. Normally, he misses low. Now, I have a medical question for you guys. I remember when Brett Favre started drifting a lot of his throws, and I read somewhere that there was a tendon or a ligament that as you enter your mid-30s, it's in the back of your ankle or going down the back of your leg, it weakens. And that is something that affects quarterbacks because it's on your plant foot and you can't push off on it the same way that you used to. That's what levels out your throw when you're younger. And when that particular part of the leg, that ligament weakens, that's what was causing Favre to float a lot of his passes. And I'm wondering if we're reaching that point with Rodgers. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's definitely a possibility. I'm not sure what ligament they were referring to. But if you think about it, you plant with your foot. And if you you can't plant effectively as you could in the past, you know, that's going to throw off all of your mechanics. And Kelly, I, think I think it's called the explosives ligament, actually. The explosive really? ligament. Okay. Well, anyway, um, if you just look at Rodgers over the past couple seasons, the word gets out right when the season's over. That, oh, yeah, he's been nursing some sort of injury. He's been injured off and on since about 2012, 2013. You know, he's broken his collarbone twice. He tore a calf muscle. I think he was nursing a knee injury all of last year. Um it just might be the wear and tear of a 36-year-old in the NFL. You know, things aren't going to work effectively as they did when he was 25. Oh, what about those collarbone injuries? Uh, collarbone, I don't think it's going to be think? as much. I don't think it's going to be as much function because you can function perfectly fine without a collarbone. That's going to be a pain issue. It doesn't affect the mechanics of your shoulder. Hmm. Okay. Because there's people, a- there's people that are born without collarbones. Believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Yes, yeah, I knew that. How about a $28 million house? Do you think that affects your throwing? Mm, does it have a big yard where you can practice? I hope it does. Yeah, okay. In that case, no. No. 
<laughs> because he's not the only quarterback out there. You know, there's that Brady mansion that's like enormous. You can fit like about 12 of my houses into. And his house has not been called into question. Well, it was now, so we can say we were first. <laughs> we planted that flag. There you go. So the other thing maybe with Rodgers, too, is not just the inaccuracy, but is he making the right reads? I mean, from my vantage point, as I'm watching him force the ball on the first drive to Graham, and then he forces the ball to MVS, two guys who shouldn't even be in the game at this point. I mean, if we've learned our lessons from the season, you know, this should be Tanyan and Lazard and touchdown Jesus and it, it's almost like he's forcing the ball to them. And we're just seeing these receivers usually open out in the flats. And he's putting that ball right up the middle. What's up with that? Because those are situations where he hasn't seemed desperate, like where he has to really force it. It was just there were some really poorly thrown balls. I don't know. But I feel like sometimes they're go- he's going to a guy in the middle or going to a guy that we just look at and say, why are you throwing it to this guy? He's not going to catch it. And you've got Jones sitting out in the flat, wide open. Or Lazard has run a perfect curl and shed his guy, and he's going for a different guy. And and I guess that's the part that concerns me, is that Rodgers not being accurate is one thing, but is he making the right choices, too? I think that's been a problem. I can think back to at least 2012, because I actually wrote an article about it, where he has this kind of unintentional tunnel vision you know there's there's this there's this great um psychology experiment psychology sociology whatever experiment um called the gorilla in the room it's on youtube where you have like three people passing a ball back and forth and at the you watch the video and you the, the the goal is to how many how many times did they pass the ball and you count you count you count you count and then the instructor at the very end says hey did you see the gorilla walk in the background I think he gets so focused on his primary targets that he 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 doesn't see that gorilla in the background. He doesn't see beyond what he wants to see. Well, with with Rodgers and specifically with you know his propensity for taking deep throws on third and three or third and five or whatever, it's always about. And anytime you hear them talk about it in the past, and this goes back to the McCarthy days, it was always about the matchup. We like the matchup there. You know, he'll see one-on-one coverage with a receiver, and he'll say, "All right, that receiver's going deep. I've got man man-on-man coverage. That's my best matchup." But that doesn't mean that that receiver is going to be open just because he's only single covered right i mean he'll make the throw because that's the good matchup whether the receiver is open or not and he does that a lot on deep balls and it's kind of returned this season a lot of these deep balls that he's throwing yes. the receivers are not open right you know they, the defender is running shoulder to shoulder with them or or at worst the half a step behind and it would have to be a perfect throw a perfect catch you know for for it to be completed and you know your odds are just not good in those situations and that's kind of helped the offense sputter at times i feel jordy nelson was so good at that that you could pitch the ball downfield and how many times do we see jordy nelson draw pass interference calls right and how many times do we see mvs going downfield i said well just let him take you down a little bit i mean do what jordy did and these guys aren't sophisticated like jordy was and i think dodgers is spoiled with that or they get heavy-handed and draw an opi Exactly. You have to be subtle in drawing the foul. You can't be instigating it, which seems to happen a little bit this season. So I guess the big question is, are these things fixable? 
in the two weeks that we have off. <laughs> I don't know. How do you fix someone's brain in two weeks? <laughs> <laughs> Especially well, when, we, when you've been doing things your way well, for a decade. Exactly. <laughs> I think one of the things that has to happen is you need to diversify the offense and get him confident. Everything can't be on his shoulders, which means the run has to get established right away. Um, I've noticed Rodgers starts to get into trouble when Aaron Jones isn't doing so hot. Um, But he needs to get a couple plays off the ground right in the first quarter, and that means don't throw throw to Jimmy Graham or NBS. Get some confidence and build on that, and then I think the accuracy, accuracy will follow. Yeah, well, it was it was kind of like also after the game in his press conference, you know, the reporters are asking questions and they asked about the the drive where they went 95 yards and you know, scored a touchdown, got back in the game, and you know, Rogers very nonchalantly, yeah, well, you know, we decided to to mix it to change it up a little and go dink and dunk, and it worked, and we scored, and then like on to the next question. It's not like maybe that's something we should do more often. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear him say that, you know, but you're not going to hear that. I think a big part of it is, I, I don't know how much control he's having at the line of scrimmage with plays, but I know that there was a point in the third quarter, and I think it was when they had cut the lead to uh, seven, you know, they got within a touchdown. Mm-hmm. They came out on the next drive and he went back in every play. It was three and out and every mm-hmm. pass was 10 to 15 yards downfield mm-hmm. and off. I mean, just, just spraying them everywhere. So they went off, they punted. The next one they came in, they handed the ball to Aaron Jones three times in a row. Ended up with a third down and one, and I, I think that's when they pitched the I can't remember who caught it out on the side, but a wide receiver, it might have been Devontae, caught it out for a, right. a first down. But I was like, why would Matt LaFleur say, hey, let's go out and try to throw th- three bombs, and then the next drive we're going to do three runs? I mean, it just doesn't seem to me like that would be Matt LaFleur's strategy. Right. Like he would be more diverse than that. Right. So maybe some of it is maybe Rodgers came into this game and he was cocky. It's the three-win Lions, and he's going to mix it up and do things his way because it's an easy win. He's going to get the ball to Jimmy Graham a couple times because that's his bud. And maybe if he buys into this over the two weeks and says, okay, Matt, we're going to do this dink and dunk thing. We're going to try to mix it up. Let's do it. Let's fix it up for the whole game and maybe we'll win uh, instead of having to take all these shots downfield to play some receivers who aren't built like Jordy Nelson. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't the only one that was came in, you know, just thinking that this would be a walk in the park. I mean, the I entire they all did. The entire team was just horrible for an entire half. Just terrible. Meanwhile, I have the it's a trap Star Wars gif ready to go because I think we all knew it was going to we had the potential to be a really hideous trap game. And meanwhile, CD is furiously typing, "I told you so. I told you so. I told <laughs> yeah. you. I said it weeks ago. I said it weeks ago." Boom. Chill down, boss. Chill out, I, boss. We I, know. <laughs> At least he doesn't have it typed in the script where we have to we have to admit our errors this week. I'm saying this under duress because CD is making me say so because he was right and I was wrong. I'm being forced to read this statement. <laughs> Blink if you need help, Al. <laughs> All right, moving on, moving on. So 
the Green Bay Packers do get a win, uh, and do, of course, to San Francisco, eking out a win. We have the number two seed, which gives us a week off. We have a bye week, which is fantastic. I, I think with our injuries along the offensive line to uh, uh, Blaga and our center, it's good to have them a little, give them a little time to recover. So we will be hosting the highest seed left over from the wild card round. Most likely, that's going to be the... New Orleans Saints. But never could, say never. It but it could, could be. be. Who could it be, Kelly? Oh, it's so hard to beat a team three times in a season. Uh, I'd rather face. Honestly, I'd rather face the Saints. Well, the Vikings are the sixth seed, so I don't think we would face them if they right. were. They, they, would have to to, they would have to go to San Francisco. It would be the Seahawks, oh. probably. Oh God! I would, I'd rather play. I would rather play the Saints than the Seahawks, to be quite honest. Or the Eagles. The Eagles could also win. So it's one of those three teams. I actually think the Eagles are going to win that game. Do you really? Yeah, I do. Hmm. In Philadelphia, I think they will win that game. I think the Eagles are a little overlooked because they've had such an up-and-down season. But, man, they, they can rush the quarterback. And, you know, if, if they had – I mean, the problem with the Eagles is injuries. You know, they've just been decimated by injuries. If they had actual wide receivers, you know, for wins to throw to uh, – They'd actually be, uh, to me, uh, dangerous in these playoffs. But I think they will beat the Seahawks, but that's as far as they'll go. Anyway, so but we're playing the Saints. Let's not kid ourselves. And it's going to be a tough, ugly game. Yeah, it's going to be the Saints. Let's just hope it's freezing cold, that it starts snowing, and just make them as as uncomfortable as we can. But not so awful snowing that I have to drive home three hours. In oh, stop being so selfish. I am being selfish. Have stop you just, it. It's so awful playing Frogger with typical Beard millennial. Snow. All about you. Okay, your boomer. Comfort and your comfort. <laughs> Don't want to be disturbed or bothered. You want to sit okay. at home and order your pizza on DoorDash, you know? Okay, Grandpa. You have to get out. <laughs> hey, I can't Pop. order from DoorDash. I live out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> what kind of DoorDash do they have there? It's go send my kid into town and pick up the pizza is what that is. The kid, they're the DoorDash person. <laughs> exactly. You they're, don't have to give him a tip none either. Not on our driving age yet, right? No, my one of mine got no. her license this past week, so I'm absolutely terrified. Getting close, yeah, getting close. I figured that, yeah. Oh, well. Then you'll have a real DoorDash person. Yeah. Anyway, back to football. Yes. Where were we? Well, moving Lance. on. Yeah. Zadarius Smith. Z Smith. No one picked him in our cheese winners this week. No. Well, there were no sacks, you know, so mm-hmm. that's... But he was there all the time. Of course, of course. And nobody tell his landlord he had the entire team over for a party. <laughs> oh, dear. Not that, not that I happen to know his landlord, but anyway. <laughs> well, you don't announce, hey, I'm having a party with like 52 of my favorite ra- loud, rowdy friends. <laughs> I hope he has a big screen TV because that's a lot of people to be watching one game. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he finished the season leading the league in pressures. And I've always been a strong believer. I think sacks are the most misleading stat in football. Um, Kabir Gabaja Biamila was always a great example. He'd finish with, you know, 10, 11, 12 sacks on the season, but he got four of them in one game that we were winning by 30 points right. already. And I always said pressures are, are a great measure of what you're doing consistently, rushing, getting a hit on the guys. Darius led the league in quarterback pressures, and he's not in the Pro Bowl. Well, the Pro Bowl has become such an obnoxious popularity contest that I'd rather see what happens with the APL Pro. 
Yeah, the Pro Bowl is kind of silly and meaningless at this point. Because seriously, unless they flood the field and add sharks to the mix, I'm not going to watch the Pro Bowl. Flood the field and add sharks to the mix, okay. <laughs> Make it interesting, come on. It's like it's like watching a middle school Shark Sharknado, the Pro Bowl edition. <laughs> seriously, when was the last time you watched the Pro Bowl and you're like, this is so lame? I, I can't even remember the last time I watched the Pro yeah, Bowl, to be honest with you. Right. Add sharks and maybe I'll watch. But getting back to that, it, it, it's kind of the Pro Bowl's kind of lost its shine. In fact, it lost its shine quite a while ago. It really, I don't care if our players don't make the Pro Bowl. Again, the stats speak for themselves. I think Zedarius was he was he was Gutenkoos playing Moneyball. He got him and Preston Smith for the the price of what Khalil Mack, and I think that was a great investment. Hard to argue with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really was a great pickup. And it, not even just the impact of the statistics, but the impact of the leadership. I think that has been so needed from this once upon a time Don Capers defense. And you know, maybe guys like Clay Matthews, who were not necessarily guys who stirred up the locker room. And Zadarius and Preston Smith stir up that locker room. I mean, they they will whip those guys into a frenzy. And it's such a big part of what this defense can do when they finally get it together. Because they weren't getting it together in the start of the game. But by the end, they were looking awfully good. Yeah. Definitely something was said at halftime. (laughs) And if you think about it, he was really brought in for leadership. Because he was named a captain before the season even started. Which I think really says that they were right for a new really? guy coming in and they name you captain. Yeah. He, you got, always... I think he wasn't, he's a good player, but I think he was brought in specifically for his leadership capabilities. Reminds you of Reggie white. Or bringing Tremont back. Exactly. So anyway, speaking of the defense, Jair Alexander had a pass interference penalty in the game. And of course, Packer nation collectively went, Oh, Jair Alexander, you're messing up again. Actually, that was a pretty smart play. Jersey, what do you think? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm I'm unclear whether he purposely did it. Uh, well, that's not really what I wanted to say. He was falling. He was falling down, right? So right. he's falling down. Did he know that the receiver was about to catch the pass and said, "Well, if he catches it, it's a touchdown, so I'm just going to take him down," or was he just going to take him down regardless? That's the only you know, dichotomy in my brain. But either way, it certainly worked out great because it saved the Packers four points. Yeah, I guess it's it's only brilliant if it works. You know, for a split <laughs> right. second, I was madder than heck going, oh my God, is this amateur hour? But yeah, in retrospect, it could have been a lot worse. And if so he wasn't it, falling down, he probably couldn't make that play. So was it intentional or did he get lucky? We'll never know. Right. But I think it could, could go down in the uh, history books of, hey, good defensive brain there. Yeah, yeah. We'll give him the credit for it, but but who knows? Absolutely. All right. Well, it's time to take a break, and let's get to this week's Tweets of the Week. This week's gems from the Packers Twitterverse. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our Packer tweets from Packer peeps. We're each going to pick one of our favorite tweets from the Packers Twitterverse this past week. We're going to say them aloud. At the end, we're all going to vote. Can't vote for ourselves. The winner is the winner of this week's Tweet of the Week. Al, we're going to start with you. I'm going to go with a tweet from a Michael Hopfinger, known as Hopstradamus, on Twitter. After the Packers pulled out that kind of crazy and improbable win, 
Michael tweeted out, well, that's one way to clinch a first round bye. It's <laughs> a good one. CD. Mine comes from someone named Opinionated Lab, at Opinionated Lab. And this was in response to someone who was citing these stats that the Green Bay Packers receivers actually have some of the best separation in the entire league. And he retorted, well, Allison and MVS get the best separation between their hands and the football. He's not incorrect. <laughs> okay, I'll round this out. I'm going to go with one of my favorites, Twickball. All of a sudden, the sharp passing game was back. As if Lafleur reminded him, I'm not Mike, so do what I say. <laughs> you should do that sooner in the game. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, Al. We're going to let you vote first. This is a tough one. This is a tough one because I don't like either of them. Oh. To be honest. You know, Twitter really wasn't this that funny this weekend. It was very angry uh, this week. Yeah, I mean... A little, little angsty. <laughs> In the case of CDs, I don't really believe this supposed stat that someone's responding to. And in the case of Kelly, you, you've really worn out the Twickball tweet thing. You, you got to find <laughs> other, you got to find another source, okay? But he's clever. <laughs> yeah, Come on. Yeah, but this one is just blah. I mean, you really. Okay, this was like the best of one. all the options. Okay, if we're gonna ban Twickball, we're banning banning Packer no, no, Ranter. Ban, but you, you gotta, you know, you gotta branch out a little and give other people a chance. So, uh, that that's enough for me. I'm gonna pick CDs for that reason. Sorry. <laughs> Fine, I'm voting for CD out of I know, spite. I know you are. <laughs> no problem. Actually, I do like his. Well, both are very, very sarcastically appropriate, but you're right. There are no fabulous tweets because Packer fandom is kind of not fun right now. You know, even the people with their really sarcastic tweets aren't that great right now. <laughs> I think we've kind of worn them all out week after week after week. I think so. How can we be original at this point, right? Anyway, we're gonna have to try our snap of the week. That'll be our new our new segment well, next year. CD, no reason for you to vote, I guess, because you Kelly are correct. Going to do the winner. So, opinionated lab, you are the winner of this week's tweet of the week. Even though you don't deserve it. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's open up the second half of the playbook. Mike McCarthy making news. Making news. Making news. Yeah, Sounds like he is ready to come out of retirement. Oh, man. He's chomping at the bit. You kidding me? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be, I, I guess, interviewing very soon in Cleveland. Uh, he's on the list in Carolina. There's a lot of people possibly sending him over to the Giants. I, uh, what's your What's your thought there, guys? Yeah, I think he would be perfect for the Giants. And I think the Giants would be perfect for him. Uh, assuming that he's okay with living in, in uh, you know, a more populated part of the country than maybe what he's used to. But uh, outside of that, just as far as the situation, uh, I'd love to see him for a giant, for my giant fan friends, I'd love to see him come to, to New York. Uh, Carolina, I think, would also be a good choice. Cleveland, I just think, oh, he's walking into uh, yep. an ownership minefield there, you know. I mean, uh, I'd hate to see him go there and see it just all turn to, sh- turn to hell, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then there's that rumor of Elliot Wolf and McCarthy pairing in Cleveland. Um, I could see that happening because everyone thought that Elliot Wolf was going to be the next GM here and he wasn't offered the position. But he had a good working relationship with McCarthy. I think that would be a really good combination for the two of them. 
Uh, I don't think Cleveland's good, but that's just my biased opinion. It's Cleveland, though. That's <laughs> I have a lifelong friend, and we've been friends since I was three, and he's a huge Browns fan, and he refers to his own team as the factory of sadness. Yep. <laughs> well, Al, i got to ask you. Ask me. I only know it from an outside perspective, but yes. when I think of the Giants, yes. particularly the Giants, I mean, I mean, obviously you have the Giants and the Jets. When I think of the Giants... I seem to think of this team that the NFL always seems to want to put out there as one of the jewels. I always remember whenever they'd show NFL mm-hmm. commercials, the yeah. Giants were always featured. I'm like, the Giants kind of suck this year. Why are they being featured? But they, they kind of want the Giants to be that team. And I feel like there's an awful lot of pressure to be successful right away in, in, in New York. And the Giants are a really, really bad team. I mean, they're uh, really bad this year. Their record is really bad, okay? I don't think the team is as bad as the record shows. They they can the coach, and I can't think of a more appropriate canning than getting <laughs> Shermer out of there. I mean, he was awful. You won't find one Giant fan that will have one good thing to say about how he managed the game, how he handled things in the in the media, how he did anything. You won't find one positive. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, yes, you're right. From an organizational standpoint, the league has always wanted to push New York. And one of, one of those reasons is, you know, the Maras, you know, they're NFL royalty, right? right. Uh, the owners. So you got that connection there with the NFL. They want the Maras to be successful and vice versa. Uh, I think you've got that organization behind the actual team that the NFL really wants to promote. And from McCarthy's standpoint, they've got a good young quarterback who was really thrown in there before he should have been, you know, by the coach. And one another reason the Giant fans hate uh, Shermer, because uh, there would have been no issue with letting Eli play, you know, at least half the season instead of throwing Jones in right away. And that's probably what should have happened. Uh, yeah, but he, Jones they got was it. not ready. No, no. no. I, I mean. You know, he had very, very limited experience uh, in in college. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think he started for a year and a half, maybe. But, you know, Duke, they weren't playing the SECs of the world, teams of the world, you know. So in any case, but he's got he's got individual talent. OK, and I think he's the type of quarterback that McCarthy would like as opposed to a Baker Mayfield, you know, type, uh, kind of harder to control and a little less disciplined. If nothing else, Jones has good discipline. His main problem has been fumbling, you know, and, and turnovers, mostly fumbling. So just working with him in the pocket and moving around the pocket, things that McCarthy helped Rodgers with, okay? I think he would be perfect for Jones. That's just my opinion. Uh, reading all the local news stories here, McCarthy doesn't appear to be high on the list for the Giants, at right. least as far as what people are writing anyway. I disagree with that, but in any case, that's the way I look at the whole Giants-McCarthy uh, thing. And going back to Cleveland, uh, of course, we, we have, have John Dorsey. Cleveland? Oh, okay. Well, John Dorsey, you know, one of my favorite linebackers in the 80s for the Packers. Yeah. Uh, and he genuinely is a nice guy. Really is. And pretty knowledgeable. But uh, he, he got canned this week in Cleveland yeah. in that dumpster fire that is the Browns. Uh, you know, obviously, John Dorsey's name was something that had come up as also being a potential a uh, person to take over for Ted Thompson eventually. I think Mark Murphy is looking pretty smart now because uh, Gutekunst has really worked out well if you take a look at where mm-hmm. we're at right now. Yep. 
I think yeah, I think Dor- Dorsey could have worked out well in Green Bay. The problem is anyone going into Cleveland is going to have pretty much a cursed job unless they turn the team around in pretty quick fashion. They're going to be shown the door prematurely. I think there's an interesting set of circumstances that are, that are happening with some of these guys who worked under Ted Thompson. And maybe maybe I'm wrong. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I think Thompson was so limited and so kind of narrow in his moves and his choices and eschewing free agency and, you know, just working through the draft and developing. It, I mean, you do kind of see it with Gutekunst. I mean, he, he did go hit the market pretty hard. And we did give Zadarius Smith and Jimmy Graham, we gave them pretty sizable contracts. I mean, <laughs> that was and Preston Smith on top of that. So these are things that you never saw Ted Thompson do. John Dorsey was a fur trader in Cleveland. <laughs> I mean, he was a fur trader. In Kansas I mean, City also. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you kind of think it's like you think, oh, we're going to hire one of the, the Thompson acolytes. And what you actually end up getting is someone who's almost wanting to break free from that Thompson. The Anti-Thompson. Exactly. Right, like the shackles are off. Yeah, see that that's where that's where I think Gutekunst is a is a wonderful choice because he's he you know he's kind of like in the middle ground there you know he'll he'll use all any aspect he can think of to improve the team. To me, he's more like a like a John Schneider from Seattle, right? right. Who was a Ted Thompson uh, protege, but as soon as he went out to Seattle, he used free agency to to supplement uh, some good drafting and. and built some decent teams out there um and i think gutekunst is in the same mold as, as schneider so to me uh, i i think at least at this point it looks like they made the, the right choice almost definitely i think he's willing to take some risks um he isn't going to go for shiny he is also not going to play uh, while i said he played money ball with the smith brothers he's also not going to bank your entire offensive future on a bunch of seventh round sixth and seventh round wide receivers you know, yeah, you can have a million and one draft choices, but if they're like the last kids kicked in, picked in kickball, do you really want them in the first place? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> so let's go around the horn here just real quick. Around the horn. Where do you, remember, we got this job that's probably going to open up in Dallas, too. Where do you think McCarthy is coaching in 2020? Kelly? Um, now that Al is saying, <laughs> don't let whole... me influence you. No, 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 you're saying, but you've got your finger on the pulse of, of New York, even though you're not a Giants fan. Um, if he's not being mentioned a whole lot, my, my gut is telling me since he's not, since Washington already got gobbled up, probably Cleveland. Jersey Al. Yeah. I would hate to see him go to Cleveland. Um, as I said before, I think he'd be perfect for New York, but. I don't, it doesn't appear like it's happening. So for me, Carolina seems like a nice soft landing spot. And that's also going to be my, I was hoping you were going to pick New York because that way you'd <laughs> all pick something different. But I, I see Carolina being a good place. You can follow Reggie White, who also went to Carolina. But I, I think they can do a little jumping around in the draft to get that young quarterback. And they don't have the bad nucleus out there. I, I think that's a nice landing spot for him. And we, we'll see him in the playoffs. That's fine. All right. Last thing before we get to our hot pockets. We're going into the playoffs. We, we're, we're looking at two, obviously one, two, and hopefully three games. But <laughs> the Packers have not always been firing on all cylinders during the regular season. So we all know one guy who I think has to hit playoff mode. And that, of course, is Aaron Rodgers. But 
I'm going to go around and just ask you guys, who else on this team do you think is the one who's just going to have to step? It doesn't mean that they're playing badly, but who needs to step up their game to playoff mode, beast mode, for the for the Packers to be successful in this hopefully three-game stretch in the playoffs? Jersey Al, we'll start with you. I'm going to go with Jair Alexander. He's been good most of the time. He's been very good as far as pass breakups and uh, and um, throws in his area. But I think it's time for him to come up with an interception or two. He's had his chances. He's had opportunities. He's had the ball in his hands, and it just hasn't happened. I think it's time for him to come through in the playoffs, pick up a couple of big interceptions a la Sam Shields back in the day, and uh, carry the Packers into the Super Bowl. I think he gets a little bit of criticism, and I, I think he's getting as close as we have to a shutdown corner. I know he's not there yet, but... But he's pretty so, close. He, he is. I mean, so yeah. often you watch plays, Alan. He's, he's yeah, a, a pass gets completed, and it looks like he's late, but if you watch, he's, he's you know, caught up to a, a player that he might have been two yards away from. He's, he's closed that gap and was almost there. Yeah, he's uh, got great anticipation. He really does. He breaks on the ball tremendously. You know, uh, when he sees where the ball is going, he's gone. You know, he's he's off. Uh, so as a result, he's contesting a lot of balls. And that has created some opportunities where instead of contesting the ball, he might have grabbed an interception or two. So that's what I'm hoping to see. All right. All right. Well, I think the player that I'm going to go with is going to be safety Darnell Savage. Now, if you remember, he really was blowing us away in the preseason, and he had a couple really good games, uh, season opener against Chicago. He got hurt, and he was out for a couple games. We kind of forget this. Yeah. And he kind of came back in, and he, he's been quiet and, and solid, but sometimes kind of invisible. And I, I feel like he's in this freshman haze where, you know, you, you know how we always talk about that. You got all these preseason games and all these regular season games, and it's so much longer than a college football season. And we're not seeing that blazing speed that I guess we were hoping for, <laughs> that we're seeing quite a bit during training camp. I'm hoping that this haze is going to lift and that speed is going to come back and we're going to see that player that we're hoping for. And I think you see that a lot with these rookies. You know, they may struggle during the year, but boy, you get them into the playoffs and they can take it up to another level. We could see him being our next Nick Collins. And boy, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, I mean, Savage has been fine, to use a popular Wisconsin term. He's been just fine. He's been fine. Uh, he's had a nice year. Uh, he, he's been steady. He hasn't made a lot of mistakes, which is the best thing you can say about a rookie in the secondary, okay? Because mm-hmm. you make a mistake back there, and it's seven points, right? So he hasn't done that. He hasn't been ha-ha Clinton Dix, which is another feather in his cap. He hasn't been the impact guy we thought. We haven't seen him coming up and, and smashing wide receivers after they made the catch or running backs after they broke through into the, right. into the backfield. So we haven't seen that, which we did see some of that in the preseason. And you felt like he was just playing purely on instinct in the pre- preseason. And I've got a feeling that, you know, in, in preseason, during the games, you know, the coaches aren't showing a lot of defensive schemes. Uh, they're just kind of, you know, they don't want to show a lot in preseason. I think as the season begins, 
suddenly you have a lot more installations of, of schemes and coverages. And I think there's a lot more to think about, which, you know, probably tends to make a rookie kind of back off a little bit and say, I don't want to be too aggressive here and make a stupid mistake that's going to cause my, my team a, a touchdown. So I think that's part of it. Um, but I have no complaints about Darnell Savage and, and uh, his rookie season. Well, look at the other other um, secondary. I think all of them have made our Limburger cheese at one time or another. Darnell Savage did not. For a rookie, he's had a pretty clean season. It may not be as intense as we wanted it to, but he's still developing. And I think there's time for him to really kind of grow into his position and become that ferocious player we, we saw glimpses of in the preseason. So, yeah, I'm with you, Al. I'm not too worried at all. All right, Kelly, who is your player that you think needs to step up? Uh, you guys are going to drag me. In fact, you guys told me ahead of time that you were going to drag me for this, but I have to say MVS. What? Because there's no Oh, All right. This is Go my rash. Say my... your piece. Okay. We need a realistic offensive target not named Devontae Adams or Alan Lazard. Because when you have two reliable targets, they get double teamed. And suddenly the defenses all know our offensive scheme. It's going to go to Jones, Adams, or the Lizard. We have to have other options. And he had so much potential last year, but he just went splat this year. So drag me all you want. We need, if not MVS, one of the other receivers just to, oh my God, step up and catch the ball on a regular basis and and, and run clean routes. <laughs> all right, actually, I won't drag you that much. Liar. Liar. I'll drag you. Oh, you're no fun anymore. Just a little bit he's going to drag me. (laughs) But where you are very, very correct is that when you look at our wide receivers, Adams is going to draw the double coverage. So it's hard for Rodgers to pitch and catch to him downfield. We don't have any other receivers on the roster who are a deep threat. Uh, Whether it be Geronimo, whether it be Lazard, whether it be Touchdown Jesus, all of these guys are short, you know, curl route runners. Guys are going to go out, get open, maybe pick up a few yards after the catch. MVS is the home run ball, and that's what we see Rodgers constantly trying to do with him week after week after week, but he doesn't catch it. And without him, we don't have a home run ball. So in a way, I agree with you. It would be great if he came back and started catching a couple of those long balls, but at the same time, I'm almost like, Maybe I don't want him to because then Rodgers is going to keep trying to throw him. Yeah, I that's mean, awfully they, pessimistic. <laughs> they certainly could use him differently. I mean, you saw they they used him on a on a nice shallow cross uh, on one play, and I think it was a third down, and they got a first down with it, if I remember correctly. Uh, where basically, you know, they just ran him across the the field on a shallow shallow cross, and with his speed, not a lot of guys going to be able to keep up with them. And that's a much easier pass to complete. It's a much easier pass to catch. So maybe. You know, use him more in that shorter to intermediate zone where he can still use his speed on that type of route to his advantage. And maybe that will give him a little confidence here that he needs. Or at least just catch the ball consistently that he draws coverage away from a receiver that can actually catch it. How's that for pessimism? That's (laughs) a fine pessimistic out. Dizzying logic. Very much so. All right, guys, let's get to this week's Hot Pockets. All right, guys, 
it's time for Hot Pockets this is to give every one of our co-hosts a chance to get up on their soapbox and give us one last rant from the heart. We're going to start with Jersey Al Bracco. Well, this past week, the Packers took winning ugly to a whole new level. I still can't believe they pulled that game out with how disjointed the offense was. You can thank the defense coming up big at the right time, holding the Lions to a single 56-yard Matt Prater field goal over their four possessions in the fourth quarter. That kept the Packers within striking range long enough for the offense to finally put some points up on the board. As we watch this team week after week, it's become clear that, as crazy as it sounds to describe a Packers team in this manner, the offense cannot be depended on to win games. Any chance at playoff success is on the D train to keep chugging and pull the Packers offensive caboose along with it. And that is my Hot Pockets. January 22nd, 2017. That's the last time the Green Bay Packers played in a playoff game. A shellacking in the NFC Championship game by the Atlanta Falcons. Now, if you would have told me at that time we would end up playing 48 regular season games before sniffing the playoffs again, I would have said you were crazy. This was the -the run-the-table season, led by the best quarterback in the league. And we're only one game short of a Super Bowl. But that's our reality. And since that day... We fired our GM and our head coach and seen a turnover of over 80% of the roster. This is a brand new team. And as we've learned, nothing is guaranteed. So if you have a ticket to this game on January 20th, almost three years to the day of our last playoff game, I hope you stand up. I hope you scream. I hope you live and die on every play like there's no tomorrow. Because you never know when your team will get another chance like this. If you expect your team to go all gas, no effing break, it's time to rock Lambo full throttle as well. Because who knows when we'll be back. And that is my... Hot Pockets! All right, gang. It's starting to feel a little bit like 2011 all over again. Time when we start... This time... Let me start over. Okay. All right, gang. It's starting to feel a little bit like 2011 all over again. Only this time we're not the sixth seed... We're the second one. But for all practical purposes, it still feels like we're a sixth seed. We have such a hard road to get to the Super Bowl. We're not going to have any easy games. We're not going to play a lowly team. This is like 2011 where we had to go through Philadelphia and Atlanta and then Chicago, the top of the division. Luckily, it starts at Lambeau. And hopefully we're not one and done. And if that means we're going to win ugly, so be it. Because the only alternative is watching the rest of the postseason from a couch. So quit whining about a team that never will be and start getting behind that ugly team we have. We have shown that we can win games that matter, and it doesn't have to be a landslide. It doesn't have to be some ginormous lopsided win. All we have to do is have one point more than the other team when the final whistle blows. And if that means we're not going to lead the whole time and win in the last second like this past week, oh well, it's still a win. Because quite frankly, I would take the 2019 Ugly Packers over the embarrassing 2018 version. It's playoff time, kids. Go Pack Go. I don't care if they're ugly. And that is my... Hot Pockets! Make sure to head over to PackersTalk.com where you can explore several unique Packers podcasts. Please follow us at PackersTalkNet on Twitter and like us on Facebook. 
Cheesehead Radio and all Packers Talk podcasts are available on iTunes or your favorite podcatching app. You can find us on Siri, Alexa, or Google just by saying, Play Packers Talk Podcast. Finally, be sure to support our sponsor, Ticket King. You can find them on the web at theticketking.com. That's theticketking.com. It's my week. That's a wrap. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go. Radio.